And welcome back, people, to yet another unbelievably thrilling episode of On Stage, Off Stage. My name is George Sapio, and today's guest is the unbelievably talented Susie Easter. Susie is an associate professor of theater at Wells College in beautiful downtown bucolic Aurora, New York. And when it comes to theater, she's pretty much done it all. She's an accomplished actor, director, installation artist, house manager, set crew, marketing team member. She's even catered. Her resume, which can be found online at suzyeaster.com, and I'm going to spell that out for you because it's tricky. So get ready, write this down. Okay, S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E-E-A-S-T-E-R.com. One more time, that's S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E-E-A-S-T-E-R.com. That resume is extensive, impressive, and honestly kind of somewhat frightening in its massive conglomeration of content. Susie's done a lot in her career, and she's worked with scads of talented folks. All right. Welcome, Susie. Thank you so much. That was the best intro I've had all day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, the day's still young. You never know what's going to happen. Still young. I've exactly. got time. I've yeah. got time. Um, let's, let's start by talking about your work as a teacher. You teach, as I said, in the theater department at Wells College. Um, and considering, are you the, how many other staff people are there? Well, I'm the only full-time faculty member in the theater. I do have um, one part-time person who is also the technical director and facilities manager, okay. and he teaches some of the technical theater classes. And so you're, that's about it. Right. <laughs> um, I do share the department with a dance professor, so it's a theater and dance major, and Jeannie Goddard teaches in dance, um, and Libby Wilmot-Bishop also teaches in dance. So I'm not that lonely all the time, but it is it is pretty much a solo department for theater. How many courses do you do you carry every semester? Um, it depends on the semester. I can teach up to five. I, I scared wow. someone the other day at a conference by telling them I teach twenty courses over the course of two years, um, and so it's it gets it gets pretty extensive. I teach acting, directing, stage management, arts management, history, Shakespeare, improv, you name wow. it. Holy cow, that's, that's, that's a heck of a load. It's a heck of a load. <laughs> yeah, that. all right. Yeah, because I was, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking at your, you know, your resume and, I, and course load and all that sort of thing, and you know, theater, you can, you can teach myriad aspects of it and honestly still not run out of things to do. So for basically almost one person, I mean, do you try and cover all the bases by yourself? I, I do. I get it's a liberal arts degree that we're, we're uh, not necessarily cranking out all actors. You know, we're, we uh, have students that go on to be professional stage managers, educators, actors, directors, technicians um, who go on to do other things and, and just have a really strong background in theater. So they're able to get promotions and get advancements in their company because they know how to speak. Um, so I try to give them a really broad base, but sometimes when I, I leave theater history class and I said, oh, no, I just talk, taught Brecht in 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> you feel a little inadequate there. But right. I really try to get them as much information as possible and then say, okay, hang on to this information. If it interested you, we're going to come back to it, you know, and when you become an upper class student and or when you go on to graduate school, this is what interests you. Hang on to that. We'll explore that. So okay. it's, uh, 
it feels like a whirlwind a lot of the time. But yeah, I'm sure it does. It, it's judging uh, from what my students are doing now, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job at Wells. You want to expand on that? Sure thing. Um, I've got a student who's a stage manager at Navy Pier in Chicago. We've got a student who's been doing lighting design everywhere, including Florida's Studio Theater and uh, Juilliard. I have students who are development directors, marketing directors at uh, YMC summer camps. I have students who hit New York City recently and have become associate producers of small not-for-profit professional theaters there. So they're, they're going. They're going everywhere. Leads me to my next question. Uh, it's in theater programs, people walk in expecting to see, you know, acting one, acting two, directing one, directing two, history of the Greeks, uh, Shakespeare course, which I'm assuming you teach all of these anyway, but do you have a certain kind of freedom to create courses that you feel are important that might not be taught someplace else or something that's a little uh, eclectic or, you know, who knows, bizarre or anything? <laughs> I wish I had time to teach bizarre classes. That'd be um, so I, much fun, wouldn't it? Great. Bizarre theater. Bizarre theater. There we go. That is, that is who we I'm are. Um, I, I've added classes. I've created several courses. I felt like students weren't getting enough acting courses. They had acting one and acting two, and that's about where we were. So I added um, some one-credit courses, and these are just quick hits once a week. Um, in improv, acting Shakespeare, acting styles, where we touch on Greek, comedian, restoration theater, uh, monologues and audition techniques. Um, one of my favorite courses, I teach a course uh, about women playwrights, and that's been a lot of fun um, to just really explore that. I get students from all over the college that take that class, not just the theater students, and it really gives them an exposure to... Um, how to write a play, how, you know, where are these people getting plays produced, what subject matters are we touching on, um, and just a really host of wonderful women playwrights. So, all right, um, which women playwrights do you focus on in the course, or do you like to focus on? Um, I really, it, it, I change it every time I teach it because I, I like to learn new things. Um, we've done a lot of Susan Laurie Parks, so that's the student's, always, always love her. Right. I try to start with a Harlem Renaissance playwright and go from there to contemporary playwrights so that he can get a, an idea of um, really where, where people have come from and, and where we're going now. And so I'm trying to find uh, women playwrights of diversity to be able to teach to these students. So I think Susan Laurie Parks has probably been the biggest hit over the past few years. Well, she, yeah, she's been one of the biggest names in theater for the past, uh, goodness, how long? Um, exactly. And she's yeah. just a joy to it, it watch the work that she does, um, the interviews. I get to show my students interviews with her that I've you know, purchased DVDs with her. Um, and it's just really fun to, to watch that. Do you cover uh, being, well, it, you cover obviously women playwrights, but do you cover being a woman in the theater game in, you know, contemporary theater because there's a lot of talk going around about you know of course how you know much of a male dominated uh, business this is do you touch on things like that right I think I think I do by example not to sound egotistical okay but I really talk to them about what it's like and what my life has been like uh, working in the theater as a woman and as a person um, I'm a mother I have two kids 
I am an educator, I'm a wife, and, you know, I talk to them, those things may happen <laughs> while you're working on your career and what happens then. Um, talk to them about marketing their products, marketing themselves, and to, to kind of get out of your mind whether or not I'm a woman playwright or I'm a male playwright and, you know, who's going to produce my play. Yes, we look at the numbers every year of, you know, what's being produced on Broadway. Oh, dear, how many of them are women? But right, right. I do have to say that, you know, both directing awards this year for the Emmys were women, which is fantastic. Um, so we're getting there. I'm slowly, sorry, I said the Emmys. I'm at the Tonys. <laughs> 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 I don't know, you know. But, yeah, they were both women. So, you know, Let's every year there's something published talking about the dearth of women in theater um, as far as being playwrights and directors. And, yes, that's true, but that just means our job as educators is to get more women out there doing those things and not to be afraid. Exactly. Voice is not heard and voice is needing to be heard. Okay, so you've, you've got a batch of students that you're, you're shepherding through this, this theater program. What's important to you that you need to impart to them, and what's important that you want these students to walk out of Wells with? Wow. Yeah, okay. I know. One of the things that I do when I get a new student is I sit down and I say to them, if money were no object, your parents were no object, what you think you should be doing with your life is no object, what would you be doing? And I encourage them to, to share their dreams with me and, and let me know, well, I really kind of want to do this, but I'll never make any money. And I try to remind them that I don't live in a cardboard box and, right. you know, I do have a car that you know, has 197,000 miles on it, but it works, and, you know, I'm doing okay, and I, I did this my whole life. Um, I try to share with them that it's okay to try something, a dream, and it's okay to quit if you realize it's not working. Um, but to never try at all is, is because your parents said you're never going to make any money or your friends think your major's easy or what have you is, right. is not, not doable in my program. And so I find out what the students' dreams are, and I say, okay, let's do it. And they look at me and say, wait, how am I going to do that? And I said, well, you want to direct? Okay. I want you to find a play that speaks to you. I want you to find a scene. Let's get a couple of actors together. I want you to rehearse the scene, direct it as best you know how, and then show it to me in a few weeks, and we set a date. And, um, and there we go. And they get a taste of it if they want to do it, if they pursue it. That's great. And I've had students say, yes, absolutely make it happen. I have other students say, are you crazy? I'm not going to do it. And a couple of years later, they figure out they want to do it. Or they write me an email and let me know four years after they graduate. I finally directed, you know. Um, but to be able to state what your dream is and right. then yeah. realize that it's easier than you think to get started and that you don't have to direct, a, you know, to act you know, Ibsen play to start out the gate, you can direct a scene, show it to a professor, trusted mentor, and say, how does this look? And go from there. Presenting them with the option of having a possibility of doing something mm -hmm. is groundbreaking for a lot of students in the first place because, you know, a lot of the mentality is you go to college, you learn this, you graduate from college, you get a job, and there's your life, you know, enjoy it. Um, but giving them the flexibility of trying different things and, as you said, 
allowing them to come to a decision that's uh, you know that says yeah this wasn't right for me i tried it it didn't work i'm going to abandon it um mm-hmm. is very you know it's a very freeing it's sort of a holistic thing you can do this Absolutely. and yes it's okay if you don't succeed yes yes i feel like i need to mention my father here for just a second my dad passed away in 2001 he was my biggest champion my best friend and he retired from Chrysler after you know doing the Chrysler grind for many years he was a systems engineer he retired after he retired i think he worked a total of seven different jobs and because he was interested in them yeah. and he passed away at the age of 67 so we're we're not talking a long time after retirement right he taught himself woodworking and made furniture. He made my kitchen table that I still eat on every single day. Um he learned how to take advertisements for a local newspaper because he was interested in how the newspaper works. Um he became an ombudsman for a nursing home because his mother had Alzheimer's and he wanted to help people who to navigate the insurance system. He's not the and type of person for what? sitting down, was he? Yeah, no, he no. He sat down on Sundays. <laughs> Sunday picture, he laid down his lazy boy and he took a nap <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah. Other than that, he was up and out the door. And um he would go what we call wandering. He'd just be out in the neighborhood taking a walk every day, you know. Mm-hmm. He was full of energy and uh he really taught me by example. He was also an educator. He taught several classes, um taught computer classes to a middle school, all of this after retirement. And it was all the things he wanted to try and do. and um you know he i like to do tell the students do that early don't wait for retirement sure you know yeah, try now's, it now now's the time for possibilities and, uh, while you still have the energy and you don't have a dog and a couch and a <laughs> partner and you know uh yeah uh, two kids and yeah right let's get to talking more about your your own actual work um you're one of the rare people who does installation art and We don't see a lot of your giggling. Anyway, I am giggling. You okay? Fine. Giggle with the host. We can work with that. Um, <laughs> no, no. Installation work is is not seen as regularly as most other forms of art. And tell, how did you get started? Gets what is installation work? First of all, for those of us who don't know, and how did you get involved in that? Right. I do what I call performance installation. So, installation is a grouping of objects in one place that basically tells a story or has some meaning or, you know, um is surrounded around a theme. I do performance installation because there's always a performative element to my installations. There there's a stillness that then there are often uh live actors um or singers or dancers. uh breathing life into this installation and i got started i got my mfa at goddard which may be familiar to my host and um hey goddard hey goddard woohoo yeah. go i don't know the mascot go goddardites uh so my one of my advisors um spoke to me i i told that he asked me what i wanted to do what i'd like to do and i explained the type of work i enjoyed seeing and he said have you ever tried performance installation and i actually looked at him and said does anyone actually like that kind of thing <laughs> and so of course being a goddard student i went and booked a um a gallery uh in binghamton and i created an installation and um it's been really amazing because i've actually started doing them up at wells college 
every year. I know some of my students say, what's a performance installation? I say, come sit down. I'll give you a theme. Let's talk about ideas. And now they just expect me to do it. This is my, I think, sixth year of doing a performance installation at Wells, and I give them a theme each year. Uh, one year we did one called Lost and Found, and I essentially walked around campus for about three months and picked up things on the ground that appeared to be lost, okay. um, including cigarette butts and a crab claw for some bizarre reason, and pieces of paper and notes and notebooks and, you know, nothing of value that, that um, needed to go back to anyone. Okay, so nobody's car, nobody's, yeah, all right. Right. <laughs> Money. And, no. yeah, and, and I created an installation. And during the installation, we had a, one section where there was a woman dressed very uh, much like a, a 1950s secretary, not an administrative assistant, a secretary. And she was by a filing cabinet. And you could walk up to her and she'd say, excuse me, um, what would you like? to write down and someone would write down my mother and then she would file it in the filing cabinet I'm under either lost or found according to her whim. Mm. And um, so in one corner of the room I had jars of cigarette butts on our non-smoking campus and I asked people to name how many cigarettes were in there for a prize. And another corner of the room I had an installation of you know, food items and food wrappers that were found on campus. It got a little smelly in my office. Yeah, that. Wow. Mm. Um, and then I had some live theater performances based on that. And so it's just a way for um, the students could come, they can walk around the gallery, experience what they want to experience, participate in what they want to ex- participate in. They don't have to sit down and face a stage. They can get whatever meaning they want out of the installation and, and, go home. It's sort of an open evening. Um, the last installation, performance installation we had, we had 150 to I wow. think around 150 to 200 students on a 500 student campus. So it was pretty good. That sounds, yeah, amazing. One night yeah. Okay. Well, all right. With an installation, because it is something that is installed, we part of our brain says, well, where is it installed? And when it comes to location, is are your installations um, tied to one specific place? Do they have to be viewed, installed in one spot, or do you think they could the installation works in and of itself? Is it tied to where it's put on? Sometimes I do site-specific installations where it's very much tied to um, that. The ones that I've been doing at Wells, I've been doing in our String Room Art Gallery. And last year we did it in the library because the art gallery wasn't available. Uh, So they can be viewed anywhere. I can pick the installation up and move it. Of course, we use the natural curves of the room and the lights. And there's a fireplace in the String Room Art Gallery that I absolutely love. I put my old wedding dress in there a few years ago for... Uh, an installation called Personal Mythology, and um, <laughs> it, it was great. And so I've been using the art gallery. I love using art galleries because they are, first of all, I love art galleries. I love, they're beautiful spaces, but I love putting performance in art galleries. I love that life and that breath and that air that comes with live performance in a space where normally people are required to walk and look at what's ever hanging on the white wall. And then say, hmm, very interesting, and move on. Okay. So you do installation work, and that's largely 
in and of yourself. You create, you place, it's a solo effort. But you're also a teacher, and I'm thinking on some cosmic level, a combination of the two focuses on directing. And we, and I know from your resume that you've directed many, many, many pieces. Um, include, you actually directed me a number of years ago, and I still want to apologize for that experience. Um, Thank <laughs> About time. That's out in public for everyone yeah. to know. This. There, there <laughs> we go. Um, but your resume states that you are a director of all the senses. Um, mm-hmm. rather than just visual and oral, um, A-U-R-A-L, by the way. Um, how, how does this relate to working with your actors in the rehearsal process? Because I'm assuming that your actors are your vehicles for transmitting all the sensory information through the text, from the text, to the audience. So how do you, how do you accomplish this? Um, first, I'll, I'll jump back to installation for one second and okay. do say that it's not solo because I am collaborating with my students and other faculty members, although I will create my own installation, but there are many installations in the room, so I'll I'll pop that in real quick. But second, um, a director of all the senses, really, I came up with that a few years ago. I saw Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphosis, which I think is an amazing experience, an amazing play. And there's a line in there, and I'm paraphrasing, but they say, do you remember the smell of apples? They're all in the underworld, and, and they're dead, and they say, do you remember the smell of apples? And everyone on stage stops, and they smell the air. And everyone in the audience took a breath in as well. And you could almost smell apples. Now, they weren't piping in apple smell in the theater, but you had this moment of sense memory. Right. That was so, I mean, it just made the hair stand up on my arms. It was amazing. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to evoke all of the senses in the audience members so they're not just staring at another television screen. So with my actors, I directed Twelfth Night. Actually, I've directed it several times. Um, I love uh, that play. I I love that play. My favorite comedy. I directed Twelfth Night at Wells College. And uh, the first day of rehearsal, I had all the students lay down on the ground. And I took them on a guided walk of Illyria and had them smell and and see and taste and feel and what's there and what's down by the the wharf when they came into town and how did they find the inn and what does the sign on the inn look like. And we just were really able to to create this very vibrant world on basically a bare stage. We had two periactoi um, designed and executed by the amazing Joe DeForest, who's my, my technical director and facilities person. Okay. And so the periactoi were these you know, triangle wooden things on stage that were able to spin to show different doorways gotcha. um, where we were. But the rest of the stage was blank, um, with the exception of a dock. And so we were really able to create this vibrant feeling of there being water and this being a seaport. And, and here we were, through guided imagery with the students. Um, I quite often stop students in rehearsal and say, what does that chair feel like? What do you see right now? Where are you? Make sure they fill in the space, that they're not just, I walk to the chair stage left, I sit down in the chair. I really have to say, which... Which chair in the room is your chair? Why does it have a little hole? Like the chair I'm sitting in right now while I'm talking to you squeaks. I realized I picked the wrong chair because it's my computer chair, so I'm afraid to move. Um, I don't want to squeak on, on tape. <laughs> I've been sitting very stiffly for the past 20 minutes. Um, I'm uh, just going to edit out all those little tiny squeaks in the background. Edit, it's edit fine, the yeah. squeaking, edit my go. allergies. Thank you. <laughs> but to really get a sense of where they are on stage, I love having food on stage. I'm about to direct... Uh, servant of two masters at Wells. 
and there is Truffle Dino wants his food, needs his food, loves his food, and I am definitely going to have food on stage. And yes, it's a choking hazard, and yes, it's ridiculous to deal with, um, but it's it's really it gives a full experience. Well, what's life without risk anyway? Exactly. Exactly. So okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Besides Servant of Two Masters, you've got another project coming up. You are directing the selected winner of... The uh, George and Gloria Peter Playwriting Competition at the Morgan Opera House in Aurora, New York. And Aurora has this beautiful little opera house right above the library in an historic building. It has a very tiny raked stage, which means the stage is on a slant. Mm-hmm. And I've been directing the winner of this playwriting competition for the past several years. And the, the uh, play, the stipulation is the play has to have some historical reference. So I've directed plays about Lizzie Borden, um, Roosevelt, uh, the inventor of the electric chair, uh, among other several interesting plays on that stage. I'm mm-hmm. learning my history very, very quickly. Um, so lots of, lots of very, uh, interesting plays get submitted. And this one happens to be about Ava Perone and it is a play by Angela Gantz and Bill Untied called the body of Ava Perone with the exception of watching Azita, which I forced myself to the other day. Uh, <laughs> I am actually doing other deeper research about Ava Perone and, uh, learns that I had no idea that her body was actually preserved after she died and went missing for a few years and finally was returned by went, some soldiers. Went to missing? Perone. It went missing. How does Her one lose went, a body of Eva Perone? You know, this, all of a sudden she disappeared. Well, she was a very and willful then, woman in life. She probably, she was, you know. She was indeed. Well, this play has a lot to do with her um, uh, coming back to life and starting to run things again, which is fantastic. Perone has remarried. And uh, Ava gets delivered back to the house. This actually happened. Her body was delivered back to Perone's house, where he kept it on the dining room table. Really? Yes. That must have made dinner time very interesting. Delicious. I know. I I would like to be a dinner guest in that house. Oh, please pardon the, you know. Ava, pass the salt. Our decor. Ava, pass the salt. Pass the salt. Ah, she does this every time. Hoards things down on her end. So this is about Ava Perone actually coming back alive and starting to to meddle. And um, it's, you know, I I read it. I enjoyed it. I actually laughed out loud several times. And then I got in touch with the playwright, and she wrote back, and she said, remember, this isn't a comedy. And I went, oh, dear. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, dear. But, I, you know, I see comedy in everything in life, so I'm one of those inappropriate funeral laughers. So it's not, mm. not so good there. But it's going to be a very interesting, very interesting piece. When is this happening? And, and that goes up in December 5th and 6th in good old Aurora, New York. Is there any place online that folks can find out all the information they'd need to get themselves a seat for this wonderful performance? They can if you type in, I'm typing in my computer right now, the Morgan Opera House. In Aurora, New York. In Aurora, New York. MorganOperaHouse.org. Well, there you go. 
MorganOperaHouse.org. Get your tickets as soon as you can. It's going to be an amazing play. And who knows, Ava might actually pass the salt one night. She might. She might indeed. <laughs> well, Susie, it's been a fantastic, uh, lovely conversation with you. And thank you so, so much for uh, being our guest this week. And good luck right. with everything you're working on. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Susie.